right here. <laughs> Today we light the candle of love. Love, true love. Ah, uh, the epitome of, a, of love. A little town full of little people. A fair maiden finds herself in a little bit of a pickle. A handsome young man stumbles his way into the situation. They meet, swoon. He tries to help her, more swooning. They fall in love. The problem is solved, and a week later they're married. Disney has given us a great example of love, right? Not the best example to follow. Perhaps Hallmark is more realistic, pastor's favorite. <laughs> a, a, a career man or woman who is too busy for love for one reason or another, they must move to a small town, maybe their hometown, where a handsome bachelor or beautiful bachelorette teaches them about love and the holiday spirit. It starts snowing, and they kiss and fall in love. Ah, what a great example, or so many believe. We jest. But unfortunately, many have grown up with these images of love. <clears throat> these fallacies have influenced our thinking, causing us to see love as an ooey-gooey, feel-good thing that should never feel bad. Even if we don't consciously think that or didn't grow up with it, it has seeped into our subconscious. English is such an inexact language that one word is often used to convey many concepts. The Oxford Dictionary defines love as an intense feeling of deep affection. A great interest and pleasure in something. A person or thing that one loves. It's even defined as a score of zero in tennis. We say we love pizza, a book, or clouds in one sentence, and turn around to say we love our spouse and children in the next. To know what God's love is, to know what God's love is, to understand what God means when he says he loves us enough to send his son for us, we need a clear definition. Love is seen in the action that Christ, in all his perfection, left heaven to be born as a child. John 6:38 says, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God, who sent me, not to do my own will. We must look, as God, look at God as the only example that truly defines love for us, and then make a conscious effort to rewire our brain and follow that example. Christ not only expressed his love for us by dying on the cross, but every moment of his life is an example to follow. We see this in his interaction with the Samarian woman, John 4, 6-7. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came and drew water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. He was tired, and yet he looked into the heart of this sinful woman, felt the nudge of God, loved her, and reached out to her in love when everyone else rejected her. He reached out to her despite his weariness, and because of that, her life was changed. We see God's love in his interaction with the rich young ruler. After asking Christ what he must do to earn eternal life and hearing the answer, the rich young ruler thought he had it in the bag. He responded to Christ that he had done all of these things since he was young. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell that, all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Mark 10, 21. Christ saw a need in the young man's life and loved him enough to address it. And the ultimate expression of love, the cross. Christ had everything. He is the Son of God. 
He left all he knew, all the glories of heaven, and limited himself to the body of an infant, the most helpless creature on earth. He was never meant to live a long life. The intention of his birth was to die for us. As he grew, as he interacted with his family and friends, he knew he would die. He knew he would face the cross. He knew he would face a time of complete separation from God. He had never experienced such pain and rejection, but was willing to suffer because it was God's plan, the only plan that would give us, our fallible, selfish, ignorant selves, a way to be reunited with God. Love does not leave us where we are, satisfied with our current position. Love breaks through the thought processes, the worldview that has been cultivated and propagated by man. Love is allowing us to feel pain and disorientation of our thoughts, our actions as we begin to see as God intends, as our world turns right side up. We will only be able to love the way Christ loves when we are willing to totally surrender ourselves, our desires, our frustrations, and irritations, our puffed-up pride, to lay it all at Christ's pierced body, spend time, make time to listen, and then be willing to do whatever he wants, trusting him with the outcome, emptying ourselves of us and following him. Then we will be Christ's light here as we love as Christ loved. John thirteen fifteen. For I have given you an example that you, should al- that you also should do just as I have done to you. Love is action and a covenant. It is sacrificial. It is a surrendered life, listening for direction and obeying regardless of what that looks like. As we light the candle of love, let's join arms to live as example of God's love, life-changing, sacrificial actions to everyone on our path. No more excuses. Loving as we are loved. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. First John 4, 7-8. Amen. Let me just remind you, Shanna has been writing those under the inspiration of God, and that was powerful. Let's do the memory verse. We're going to talk about it in just a minute. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Genesis 3.15. All right, we're going to call a little bit of an audible today and um, we're going to wait on kids time. And I wanted to share for just a a few minutes about our theme of Christmas in Genesis. So if you want to look at your outline very quickly, and a few items of note before we get there. Christmas Eve worship at 6 o'clock. That's on Friday. It usually lasts about 90 minutes. And for those of you that may not have been at a Christmas Eve service with us, this is one, one of the few times during the year that we dress up. So I will be wearing a tie. If you're used to wearing jeans, you can wear jeans if you want, but I'm going to be dressed up. And then our devotional book is for 2022, if you want to pick one up, is here. We don't yet have the Bible readings um, and the journal pages ready for you yet. And I would just ask if you would pray specifically this week for me, because I got so many different ideas and directions that I think 
God may be leading. I'm just having a real struggle trying to get it focused. Um, and so if you just pray that God would pull that together for me this week. The Bible readings, the sermons, the learning communities, all those kinds of things for 2022. And then just a reminder, be praying about your word for the year. Ask God, what word do you want to emphasize or what phrase do you want to emphasize for 2022? So we're talking about Christmas in Genesis. And I put the review in there for you. Advent is about incarnation rather than Christmas. And that has really captured my heart. I hope it's captured yours. Jesus coming rather than all of this. I, I love that part in the reading about uh, Hallmark. <laughs> and what was the other one? Disney. I, oh, Disney. Yeah, there's that. God's original plan for us is to be co-laborers with him, to work alongside, not just sit across the table from him and enjoy relationship. God's original purpose is not changed. And so what we see in Christmas, what we see in Advent and Incarnation was originated back in, in Genesis. That Incarnation is the beginning of restoration of the original plan and that it is an invasion in this cosmic war of retaking what was lost in Genesis. And then last week we talked about how Jesus has, is, and will always be there in, in creation and in our lives. So today I wanted, I wanted, wanted to um, just take a few moments and, and highlight that God, God's character and depend, God is dependable from beginning to end, unchanging in his character and his actions. Have you discovered that in life, few, if anything, is actually stable and dependable and secure <laughs> and consistent? I had a, I, when I first started ministry, I was just a young buck, and there was a wonderful pastor who was about 70 years old that was, had retired. He was part of the church I was pastoring, and, and he kind of pulled me under his wing and just helped me so many ways. And one of the things that I remember him saying to me is, Herb, after 70 years of life and decades of ministry, I've discovered that the only thing consistent about people is their inconsistency. And I thought, that's pretty cynical when I was 24 years old. <laughs> and now I realize that's exactly, and it's true for us as Christ followers as much as it is for anybody else. It's, but God is consistent dependable, faithful in all that he does. So if you look at your outline, I only have two points today because this is going to be brief. Am I on the clock? How far, how many minutes have I done so far? Four minutes. Really? <laughs> wow. It goes by so fast. Number one, God won't give up his throne. He will not give up his throne. There appears to be a growing belief in, in our culture that God is more Santa Claus than he is almighty God. But God is not going to give up his throne. To actually have a relationship with God and follow Christ, we have to be, at a minimum, viewing God as Almighty God and be very clear that we are not God. And the invitation of the enemy through the serpent in Galatians chapter 3 was that they could be like God. And that's the invitation he gives to people today. But God will not give up his throne. His consistencies from before time to after time is that he will not give it. So he, God will never, ever, 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 ever. And that's, 
a lot of the focus of our memory verse in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity, I will put hatred, I will put division between you and the woman. This is God's judgment on the devil. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head. He will destroy you. He will eventually take you out and you will strike his heel. You will damage him. And, the, and so what we see is this promise of the cross in the, in the Genesis story. Promise of Christmas and, the, and um, of, of the incarnation and of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. And so he's saying, and not right now, but someday I will judge all rebellious creatures and every one of them will bow down to me. Every one of them will proclaim and recognize that I am Lord. Jesus, God, will never, ever, ever give up his throne. So you can be secure. When it feels like the world's coming apart and God's not delivering, he will not give up his throne. Secondly, he won't give up on us. God won't ever, ever give up on the people he created. At the point of rebellion, God could have, probably should have, in perfect justice, destroyed the serpent, Adam, and Eve, because that's what they deserved. But because he's so merciful and gracious, he didn't. And so Genesis 3, 16 to 19, open your Bible very quickly. I'm on the clock, so hurry up. <laughs> Genesis 3, 16 to 19. He said, to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. So instead of killing them, he says, you're going to have to experience discipline. You're going to experience pain. And, and the world began to turn upside down. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. You are dust and to dust you shall return. You hear that at funerals. From the dust... You return to dust. Instead of killing them, he disciplines them. He refuses to give up. And I want you to hear me on this. No matter what you do, no matter how bad you mess up, he refuses. If there's a chance left, he will not give up on you. Amen. No matter what you do. Unless you harden your heart so deeply that you can no longer hear God, he will pursue you. He will continue to pursue you. God will not give up on you. So he could have destroyed them. But instead, he said, I will sacrifice my own son. That's how much he loves us. God is the same from beginning to end. He doesn't change. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He didn't give up on Adam and Eve, and he will not give up on you. And which begs the question, but isn't God angry in the Old Testament and loving in the New Testament? Have you, has that ever occurred to you? I mean, I, when I was younger, that's kind of what I thought. Boy, God was really angry, but the Jesus came and he kind of, you know, he kind of salved his anger and now, now God kind of turned his heart and now he loves us again. Not true. Not true at all. But I believe it's one of the subtle, great misconceptions of uh, because it, it, it wears away at who God is. And I think one of the things that the devil is trying to do is to get people to believe that he's not that almighty, powerful God of the Old Testament anymore. He's a pushover. And everybody, he, he loves everybody, so everybody's going to go to heaven. 
No. No. But isn't God angry in the Old Testament and loving the New? Well, let's take a look. Psalm 103. If you want to flip, if you're really fast, you can get there before I start reading. <laughs> Psalm 103, verse 6. He says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is, mer this is Old Testament, the Lord is merciful. He doesn't do what we deserve. And gracious, he gives us what we don't deserve. Slow to anger. This is in the Old Testament. Slow, God slow to anger? What about all those people that he killed? He had a reason. Trust me, we'll get to it in 2022. And abounding in steadfast love. Abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquity. This is the Old Testament. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so, high, so great is his love toward those who fear him. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. He is this incredibly loving God in the Old Testament. And it's the lie from the pit of hell that, for, that gets us to look at the times when he had to execute justice as if that's his whole character. Zephaniah 3.17, one of my favorite verses. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's right there. A mighty one to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The picture is of, of, um, of the Bruce's, Ryan and Vanessa Bruce holding little Garrett and he's upset and, and they're rejoicing over him. They're loving on him. They're singing over him. They're quiet. That's God for you. In the Old Testament, God is the same from beginning to end. He's consistent from beginning to end. And just by the way, if you look closely in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 5, verses 111, you find God executing his judgment by killing somebody who gave a bad offering. Don't stare at me like that. I'm not saying you ought to, uh, you know, adjust what you give. I'm just saying you have to adjust your heart because God is still the same. He executes judgment when he has to. But he gives us every chance he can. He will not give up on us. So Christmas and Genesis, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and especially the incarnation tells us that God will not give up his throne. Worship him with all you've got. Surrender, listen, and obey. And he will not give up on you. Stop beating yourself up. Stop shaming yourself. Stop thinking you're less than because God knows your frame. Psalm 103, he knows you're going to mess up. He's waiting for you to turn to him. Would you bow your heads for a moment? During this Advent season, as we celebrate the incarnation, hear this. God is almighty God, and God is on your side. I don't know what you might be going through, what you might be struggling with, but uh, you need to know that he is all love and he is all power. So would you take a moment and just surrender yourself and say, God, do whatever you want to in my life to draw me closer to you, to bring honor to yourself. 
Lord, I pray as we continue to go through this Advent season that you would zero us in on what it means for you to come in flesh and we will experience you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.